You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Not too bad. Pretty good. Thank you. I'm actually up uh, up at our place up in Blue Mountain here, and uh, I, I've, I don't recall seeing as much snow as I have in the last few days, so we're... It's got to be about three feet of snow that we've had. So it's uh, it's very, very beautiful, except we're running low on coffee and water. And of the two, coffee is the priority. So hopefully we can get plowed out here and get to the store at least. Yeah, that, that would be very important. In the morning, yeah. You know, we have... Um, we may have to jump on the snowmobile and go up to the local store there. But yeah, it sure is beautiful. But uh, my, oh, my... It's, uh, it's a lot, a lot of snow. Anyways, um, and it really fits in with, uh, with our guest. We're talking to Sarah Hendrickson, who is a world champion ski jumper. So um, really, it fits into the mode of the show. So I'm just using it as inspiration for when I speak with her. Today's show is taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. And do please feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca with any questions concerns, any ideas for shows, we always like to hear from you. And please do subscribe to our podcast. So you don't even have to go search us out. Subscribe once and it'll be delivered right, right to you. You get notifications when we have our new podcast up. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasi.com. So very special guest today. Uh, this is an Olympian and world champion, as I, I don't think I said Olympian, but she is an Olympian and world champion, uh, lovely Sarah Hendrickson. And Sarah is an Olympian and world champion in the sport of ski jumping. She attended the first ever Olympic Games in Sochi, Sochi Russia in 2014, and with bib number one, became the first ever female to ski jump in an Olympic event. Prior to that event, she won the first ever World Cup event and World Cup overall title in the sport. Although she does not like to be defined by her injuries, a crash in 2013 training for the Olympics severely injured her right knee. 
but with an intense rehab program recovered in a short five months to qualify for the Olympian team. It's quite a story when, when you hear it. Uh, it's very impressive. Sarah knows her challenges with injuries has taught her a lot about mental toughness, mental health, rehabilitation, and perseverance to return to her passion. And although she has retired from the sport, she remains highly involved on the international level through the International Ski Federation as a four-year athlete representative for women's ski jumping. The inequality that this sport specifically faces fuels her dedication to push for more acceptance, increase prize money, and increase the amount of events to someday match the men. It was just a lovely conversation. She's a, a, a beautiful human being, a lovely person to, to talk with. We're going to cover a whole bunch of things here. She's got quite an interesting history. We're going to talk about her diet, her plant-based diet, in support of uh, her nutritional needs, both as an athlete and in rehabilitation. We're going to talk about the unique pressures for female athletes within her sport. And we're going to talk about how Sarah's injury impacted her mental health and how she had to do a whole body approach to her, her rehabilitation and progression from her disease. So everybody, we will be back in a few minutes to talk to you on the Health Hub.
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are The Health Hub on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And again, if you want to um, email us, we're at thhradiomaria.ca. If you want to find out more about Sarah, our guest today, uh, you can do so. Or if you have any other ideas for guests, we had um, one guest or one listener call in and uh, had heard a wonderful podcast elsewhere. We're able to get that guest on our show in the next few weeks. So please do feel free to email us with any suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Great to be here. So really, the stage has been set for this interview. As I was mentioning uh, off air, we are in uh, one of probably the most prolific snow winters of, of, I can't even remember having this much snow. And right now, we're knee deep in it. So uh, obviously, there's some sort of synergy going on between the interview and the weather. So that's great. Um, But what I want to do, you know, obviously, you've been at the pinnacle of your career, and and you have uh, an overwhelming talent. But, you know, maybe start us off by telling us how you got to where, where you were in your career and, you know, what other elements besides just this raw talent you had to cultivate to, to get to the heights that you were at? Yeah, it's definitely a, an interesting story. I grew up in Park City, Utah, and I had begun skiing at the age of two, basically. It was just part of my family's culture, and I had an older brother who was on skis at the age of two as well. And so right, right when I could basically pick up the ski boots, um, I wanted to be involved with that. So the weekends were always, um, involved going to the ski area and just being outside. And, um, at the age of seven, the winter Olympics came to my hometown in park city in 2002. And the, um, the Utah legacy foundation did like a phenomenal job creating opportunities for kids to try different Olympic sports. And since I had a background in skiing, um, we got introduced to ski jumping. My brother had tried it a couple winters before through an after school program. And of course I was always following him in his footsteps. And I always say that I got sick of watching him and, um, sick of waiting for him to get done with training. So my mom decided to put me in the program as well. So at the age of seven, I started ski jumping and watched the Winter Olympics in my backyard and just really fell in love with the sport. It's interesting because I the only other structured sport I did was soccer, um, but I never did any ski racing. I never did freestyle or free skiing um, in terms of aerials or moguls or stuff like that. Um, but when I started ski jumping, I just fell in love with it. And it's a very unique sport in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's not very popular popular, but over in Europe, it's, it's really huge, which we can get into, but I just fell in love with how unique it was and how tight knit the culture was because it was so small and really just, um, kept going with it. It was just a challenge that, um, I became addicted to my brother and I were just all encompassed in this sport and, um, just kept progressing. And at a young age, I guess I hear stories about the coaches that I had at a young age and um, the people around me. And they always said like, Oh, we knew Sarah was going to be really good, but I, I never thought of it that way. I just kept doing it because I loved it. I never thought it would become a profession or I would go to the Olympics or anything like that. Um, It was just something that I fell in love with that flying with going fast with the challenge of training and um, 
there's nothing really better or more passionate um, I am about than, than ski jumping. What does it feel like to be <laughs> in the air like that? Like it's not a natural tra- transition from having your feet on the ground in ski boots to jumping. I, I don't think it is, is it? Uh, but <laughs> like, just like I, I've watched the sport, I've, I've watched you and I just, it's, it's just amazing to me how long you're in the air. What does it feel like? Yeah, that's one of the most popular questions we get. And it's so hard to explain the feeling because it is not compared comparable to anything else in the world. And I think that's why I loved it because I am a part of this really unique group that gets to experience this feeling of flying. And, you know, I started alpine skiing at that young age and I was always finding little jumps off the side of the run. And when you start ski jumping, you start super small and um, you just kind of work your way up after you work on the fundamentals and the basics. And, and I always say that if there's any sense of fear in those early age, in those, in that early age, or when you're first starting that you're going to have, um, trouble being super successful at it, because if you're scared, there's going to be this mental block. But for me, I never, I was never scared of it. I'd never had fear. It was always excitement. So I think that's just the way that I'm wired. And I had to be wired that way in order to progress to the level that I did. Um, I do quite a bit of coaching now and I can see the athletes almost instantly if they're going to have a future in the sport because of their fear or their ability to not be scared um, on the ski jump is a huge um contributing characteristic on whether they're going to go all the way. So that's the mental piece. So you've got the, like I said, you had the talent, obviously you have the talent and the dedication and this mental piece. What other parts did you have to really work on to become the complete athlete that you are? (laughs) Oh, phenomenal question. Um, Yeah, I definitely have a a bunch of natural talent. Um, Like I mentioned, my family is huge into sports. Um, My mom is a phenomenal athlete ultra marathon runner. My brother was in ski jumping and Nordic combined cross country skiing. And my, my dad has a background of, of skiing and um, a little bit of ski jumping. But um, so I, I grew up with all those components, which helped me a ton. But um, I think I, yeah, I think the hardest challenge for me to like captivate becoming um, ultimately a world champion and Olympian with what I um, accomplished was um just breaking down the barriers that we had faced in terms of being a ski jump in the United States, because it is such a small sport here. It's really hard to become one of the best in the world because we don't have a lot of the funding and the resources that the other European countries have. So um, I really had to be so passionate about this sport that um, I showed up to training every day because I loved it and I never did it because I thought there was going to be a future because I thought there would be sponsors because I thought there was going to be an Olympic games. I mean, those were all maybe bonuses in the future that I looked up to, but at the end of the day, I showed up to the gym because I loved going to the gym and I, you know, there's always hard days and days that you don't want to get out of bed, I guess. Um, but nine out of 10 days, I was leaping out of bed because I loved what I did. And that definitely had to grow and strengthen as I worked through injuries, as I worked through um, a lot of gender inequality within our sport to keep reaching the next um, accomplishment. 
Now, you, you've touched on so many things I want to talk about, and I'm just trying to think quickly in my mind which path to go down. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about um, you are a plant-based eater, and I know that's something that you're very proud of, and that doesn't mean people that she's a, a vegan or a vegetarian, but her, she is plant-based eating, and Sarah, I want you to talk about that. Um, I want to link this idea of diet with maybe an image of a female athlete, whether that's actually um, a component of ski jumping or whether it is, it is something that is uh, permeated through your sport. So as a female, as somebody who is, uh, was a pioneer in the sport, really, Sarah, um, did you have certain pressures upon you about how you ate and how you looked in your sport? Definitely. Um, ski jumping is the only um, Wade Winter Olympic sport in terms that there's actually rules and regulations that attest to your body weight in terms of our ski length and our, our height. And that's something that we don't really need to get into, but just know that like there are rules and regulations for, for weighing. And um, so at a very young age, you are aware of body weight. And if you look at the highest level of ski jumpers, they're quite thin and quite um, usually tall, but that's kind of uh, transfer, like uh, changed a little bit that you don't have to necessarily be tall for ski jumping, but you have to be lean and powerful. And um, that often leads to a lot of athletes being restrictive in, in the sport of ski jumping. And um, it's always been a pressure for every athlete that I've ever been on a team with. And it's definitely additionally hard being a female athlete, right? I mean, I don't think there's one athlete that on the female side that doesn't really have to think about their body image and everything that they're putting in their body and not just to perform, but to look good in your uniform or to look good on the top of the podium. I think it's just part of our society and culture now that we become engulfed in, in those mindsets. So I've been really fortunate that I have a naturally lean body and um, a lot of people see me outside of the TV or whatever and say, oh my gosh, you're so tiny. And um, that's kind of how I've always been because I'm my mother's daughter, but um, it's definitely been a challenge to find that balance between staying strong and healthy with enough body weight and enough body fat, but also the reality is we do have to be lean in our sport and um, you go through ups and downs, at least I did of finding the balance between the two and eating intuitively and eating what you're craving in order to perform at your best. And it's an ongoing challenge. Even as I start to step away from the sport that it doesn't all just disappear once you're done competing, it's still um, in the back of your mind because of the um, rituals and um, habits that you've had for the past, um, for me, oh, um, two decades. And I'm sure you've had to adapt over your career. I mean, you started as a youngster and as uh, obviously as you grow and as you become a woman, your body changes. Now, are you, were you imposed upon with a diet or were you, you took care of yourself? You, you listened to what your body needed um, because as, as you, you know, as we've talked about, um, you know, off, off air here and just sort of mentioning you are a plant-based person. So, there's still that idea out there that we need a lot of meat in the diet. And I don't know how much this is, like I said, how much you sort of took care of yourself, but how did that intuition develop in you? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, I, I I struggled definitely in high school, um, end of high school, and going into um, World Championship year in 2013, which I ended up winning, and then the 2014 Olympics, I I struggled with some serious injuries, and that kind of triggered some um, complicated issues when it came to eating because all of a sudden I wasn't training because I was recovering from this knee injury, I wasn't training the normal fashion that I was. And I had these thoughts like, oh my gosh, I'm not in the, in the gym as much as I have been. I don't need to eat and feel myself as much as I used to. And obviously that is definitely not the case when recovering from an injury, you need to be eating um, almost a surplus of calories in some sense so that you can regenerate and re repair those um, tissues that are damaged. And so um, through that time, it was definitely hard. And I, I struggled a little bit with restricting and finding the balance of how much I, I wanted to weigh to be on the ski jump and how much I needed to weigh to be um, not in risk of re-injuring myself, et cetera, et cetera. So I've definitely gone through different habits or diets, whatever you want to call um, to where I am today, which is almost 10 years later than those first serious injuries. And yeah, like you said, you, um, I am primarily plant-based and now I'll be completely honest that I'm not hundred percent plant-based right now. I have in the past, but it, um, I struggled with it just because, um, I have a few food sensitivities that, um, like beans and legumes that kind of upset my stomach. And so without having those sources of protein, I've had to substitute with, um, some, you know, um, fish and, um, what else do I have? fish in local game? Um, so if I have someone that has um, hunted elk or um, something like that in the area, I will eat that. But other than that, I'm um, plant based. And um, when I first started down that path of eating, um, I just I felt a lot better. It felt um, I don't I don't when I would say just very naturally, I gravitate towards veggies and grains and um, carbohydrates and fruit. And I just felt really good. And, but then I needed that extra little protein at the end of the day, or the end of the week, a couple times a week, just to um, fill in the gaps. But now I feel like I'm at a place where I eat super intuitively. I don't restrict by any means. I um, listen to my cravings. And that has been a very, very long journey to get here today. And um, I'm very thankful I've made it to this point in my life. Um, but I, I um, yeah, it's definitely been a lot of ups and downs through the athlete life in order to, to stay here, where I am today. Tell us about your injury. Sarah, it was quite yeah. it was quite a severe injury. It was. So in 2013, after I won world championships, um, we were going into the 2014 Winter Olympic Games. It was the first time women's ski jumpers would be allowed to compete at the Olympic level. And being world champion at the time, I had quite a bit of pressure on me in terms of being um, favored for an Olympic medal. And I was training that summer, so August of 2013, and I pretty much out jumped a hill in Germany and ended up like landing on the flats and completely destroyed my right knee, tearing my ACL, MCL off the bone and damaging 80% of my meniscus. And it was really, really an intense injury. And what ended up happening is I 
picked a surgeon that set out a timeline that said it was possible to recover within five months in order to make it to those Olympic Games. And once he told me that, I put my head down and rehabbed six hours a day. And um, inevitably ended up making those 2014 games um, and competed as the first ever woman to ski jump in the Olympics. But it was a grind to say the least and uh, challenged me physically, mentally, and emotionally in order to make that Olympic dream come true. How much of the mental piece is involved in in recovery like that? Oh man. I mean, 90%, honestly, Mm -hmm. the more I learn about recovery um, from acute injuries like surgeries or even chronic pain, which I do suffer from now, the mental component of it is just all encompassing. It's, um, you know, we have, our brain is really an amazing, um, amazing factor that we have to, we have to deal with, we have to overcome, we fight it um, on the day to day basis. But it was crazy, because looking back, I really have no idea how I rehabbed basically a 10 to 12 month recovery in five months to qualify for the games. But what clicked in my head was when that doctor looked at me in the end of August and said, this is possible. I know you can do this. There was no doubts in my mind. And I had PTs that I swear lost hair, gray hair over what I was doing because it was just so not by the rule books um, in terms of recovering from an ACL. But the doctor told me it was possible and it was like head down all out. This is what I'm doing. No one is going to stop me. And I did it. And like, there were so many times where I could have just given up, but I had that dedication, that mental capacity to push through. And looking back again, it's like, I have no idea how I did that. Now, just before we go to break, I have to ask, what was it like standing on top of the hill, the ski hill uh, for the first time after you came back from your injury? From that injury, it was yeah. actually okay because I was so excited. I was so in love with the sport that all I wanted to do, all I pictured myself through all those rehab days was just one, walking into opening ceremonies and two, being able to be at the top of the ski jump again. And it, it still gives me goosebumps to just think about that moment and how hard I worked day in and day out to get to that point. And um, when you set those goals and accomplish them, even with tragedy, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And there's what separates uh, you from the rest of us, right? I mean, <laughs> that mental space is just uh, the, the fortitude of dealing with your mind. It's, it's outstanding. Everyone, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back uh, to talk more, Sarah. on the front porch six years old watching dad walk out the door open your eyes open your eyes and dream again yeah. one stopped when the doctor said you'll never have a baby of your own 
Phone stopped after two attempts at rehab. Couldn't help him get control. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Sarah Hendrickson, and we're going to continue here, Sarah, talking just about your life because your life is inspiring in so many ways, right? You've had this injury. You've had that. You're at the top of your game in sport. You've dealt with so much. So now let's just follow that path, right? You're transitioning out of sport. How did that change your mindset, the way you live your daily life? Was it a tough go? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. Um, deciding to kind of step away. And after the 2018 Olympics, so I competed in 2014 and then actually had another injury between those two Olympics, but came back, competed in 2018 and then decided to step away, go to school a little bit. And then inevitably I wanted to come back, but was presented with a back injury that ended up in surgery. And then with this pandemic and with my body just kind of deciding it was quite tired. I've um, kind of stepped away from the sport, continued to um, be dedicated to my education, which I'm very, very passionate about. And um, I'm a personal trainer on the side. 
Um, and yeah, officially I've uh, applied for nursing school. So that is the um, next step on my docket, hopefully, if I get in. Oh, congratulations and all the best. I hope you do. Are you still involved in the sport at all? Definitely. Yeah, I am part of the FIS Athlete Commission. So FIS is International Ski Federation. So it hosts all the events from alpine skiing, freestyle, ski jumping, Nordic. um, And I am one of the 12 athletes from around the world that uh, represents my sport on the female side. And the unique thing about women's ski jumping is our gender inequality that we still face highly today. Um, as I mentioned, 2014 was the first time women were allowed in the Olympics, which is great, grand, and wonderful. But now we still have um, a huge gender um, pay gap. We make um, less than 30% of what the men make. We have about a third of the events that the men make. And so my um, next passion has been um, pushing on the political and equality side of the sport in order to get these differences a little bit less because um, it is really, really important to me that all those females have the same opportunities that the men do. What's the blockage there? Um, A lot of tradition. Um, It was historically a male sport, which now that I say that out loud, it's like, well, most sports were generally male. Exactly. We're seeing this Um, on the American soccer team as well. You've got some strong voices speaking out there. So why now? Yeah, it just, um, the progression over the last 10 years with women's ski jumping has been astronomical. It's um, really, really impressive. We have, you know, just to throw out some numbers last uh, two weekends ago, there was a World Cup for women's ski jumpers, and we had 83 girls there. Um, and the men also had a competition that weekend in a different location, and they had 53. So um, I think that's we always got the pushback that we don't have enough competitors, we don't have enough nations, we don't have a high enough level. And just the excuses upon excuses that we've heard throughout the years are um, very repetitive, but. Um, it is going in the right direction, but I remain in the sport to keep pushing it because it needs to be pushed. Otherwise, the um, a lot of the European men that run our sport would not be giving us um, any events. And I'm there to stand up and, and represent the athletes to make it more fair. Is this all tied up in sponsorship money? You know, it has to do with media money, sponsorship money, um, TV rights, um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to financial issues. And I get that. But also, there's sports um, within the FIS um, Federation that um, the, the women do way less intense, um, not intense, way less technical tricks, say on the freestyle side of things, and yet they are gender equal within the pay. Um, so we are the only sport that is not gender equal within the pay. And so it's like, if they are equal, then we should be equal too. So there are excuses after excuses, but at the end of the day, we need, we need the support in, in order to grow our audience and to make the media attention more prevalent. Have you seen a big change or is it still too small for you in the way women have progressed in the sport? Do you see a, a not even just from this political space, but um, even in the athleticism in the sport, have you seen it change a lot since you first started? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was trying to come back from these injuries, 
Um, I, I obviously, I was winning a lot in 2011, 2012, 2013, and coming back from these injuries were so, so hard because I was coming back to my previous level, but the, the sport on the female side was growing so much that I couldn't catch up anymore. And if you watch the top men and the top women, like it is, it's really, really impressive. We're going the same distances as the men. We're jumping the same hills um, when the officials let us. And um, the last 10 years of what women's ski jumping has progressed is probably how much the men have progressed in the last um, 30 years, I would say. So it's very, very quick progression. So are you, you slipped something in there. Are you not allowed to jump on the same hills as the men? The, the hills are much different? <laughs> um there's two sides to that. So traditionally, there's um, two events in the Olympics. There's the K90, also known as the normal hill, and the K120, known as the large hill. Right now, women are only allowed to jump on the large hill in the, or sorry, only the small hill in the Olympics. Um, so we only have one event in the Olympics where the men have three. Um, there are some World Cups that are on large hills for women, but it's about um, it's maybe 30% of the overall um, amount of World Cups are on large hills compared to small hills. Um, so we train on large hills all the time um, because we, we enjoy it and we like going off the bigger hills. But FIS kind of has been slow to allow us to jump on those larger hills. Additionally, there's something called ski flying, which is hills over 120 meters. So the largest hill in the world is, is um, 200 meters large, and they will not let female ski jumpers jump off that. Is this this idea of protecting you? <laughs> what is the, the reasoning yep. behind it? No, you nailed it. There's um, there's safety discussions, um, which in the past I could kind of understand, but we've been comparing the level of women ski jumpers to what the men looked like when they were ski, fly- ski flying back in the 80s. And we are way, way, way safer than some of those jumpers that were taking place back then. So they, again, it's just any excuse that they can come up with to kind of brush us under the rug. Interesting. Are you working directly with female skiers? Are you training them? Um, I do a development camp in the summer with a group of young ladies that are the age of about 13 to 16. Um, and I really enjoy that. I don't coach full time, but I do try and give back to the small development groups when I can. And so if you were to teach you at this younger age, what would you tell yourself? What would you do differently? Where's your wisdom taking you at your ripe old age right now? Ooh, um, you know, I wouldn't do a lot different um, in terms That's great. of, yeah, no, I think there's a few things that I would tell myself to chill out about, such as maybe some of those diet, those eating things um, to be a little bit more conscientious of um, not obsessing over over the health of that but I had so much passion um, and love for the sport and that's really what took me to the next level and so when I work with these young girls I try and advocate for them to be in multi-sport to um, do fun trainings don't feel like you have to grind at the gym Um, for X amount of hours a week. It doesn't matter if you're going out for a mountain bike ride or a trail run with your mom or rollerblading or whatever it is to just get you outside and stay active can be really, really important down the road with ski jumping as it creates this multidimensional athlete um, that I was really fortunate to grow up in. 
The science of the sport must be changing too. I mean, we're just, we're it's just every single day, there's got to be some progression in the science aspect of it. So um, is that something that you had a lot of, or is that something that you're really seeing is, is a burgeoning part of what's going on in, in ski jumping? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say definitely the equipment has changed a lot. And um, that's one of the things that is hard as a small nation in the sport, such as the U.S., um, because we don't have as much money to put into those um, equipment changes, whereas countries that get government funding, such as like Germany, Austria, and Norway, they have a lot of money to develop into new suit material, into testing new boots and skis and stuff like that. And that's where we can really fall behind. But um, I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting question because I think there are definitely other sports that pro- are progressing on that technical manner um, a little bit quicker, but I would say the one thing that stands out to me is the equipment and making it lighter and faster. Were you involved in a whole bunch of different sports while you were into your intense training? Um, and if not, would you go back and do it that way just to sort of free up your mind from the intensity? I always had other sports. Um, I played soccer through high school um, up until about a year before I won world championships, which was phenomenal. You know, it it connected me with people my age and it connected me to a team sport, which I loved. And then I always, I always loved the gym. So I never felt like I needed separation from there because I was never burnt out from it, but I rode bike, I mountain bike, I um, trail run. I learned how to, Um, I learned a lot of yoga. I learned, um, yeah, always alpine skiing, Pilates, just kind of dabbling in a little bit of everything. So like you said, it doesn't get too stagnant. Are you, what are you doing now to keep yourself in shape? (laughs) Oh, everything. Don't tell me you're sitting on the couch. uh. (laughs) No way. Nope. Um, And that's where it comes back to my love for movement and exercise. I do it for my body and my mind and you know as a social activity with my friends it's just it's so ingrained in me that it it never feels like a chore so I trail run I alpine ski I ski tour I mountain bike I road bike I do yoga I swim every week like just anything I can get my hands on and that multi-movement um all working all types of muscles is so important because it just um, creates this full body strength um, that, that works with your mind and, and the physical aspects of everything. Hmm. Very interesting. And your diet's the same, I'm assuming. Yep. Diet's pretty much the same. Um, like I said, primarily plant-based and then I love to cook, especially this last year with, with COVID. I, um, hunkered down and cooked probably uh, 99% of my meals. And I, I just love that. I love watching the process of, um, you know, finding a recipe, going to the store, getting the ingredients and bringing it all together and hopefully sharing it with someone that you love or friends that you love. Um, there's something so wholesome and nourishing about that. Are you able to jump still or no? You've that's sort of gone out of the repertoire of exercise. Um, since my back surgery, I have not uh, jumped, but I do plan to again, um, just because I love it so much. So w- we'll see where that comes once uh, this pandemic is a little bit over. <laughs> How long ago was your back surgery again? It was a year ago. So just a year. So you're still healing, would you say? 
Um, I'm a hundred percent healed. I would say, um, there's still, of course, a little repercussion. I think I, I had a herniated disc. So, um, those nerves were compromised for quite a few years. We Mm -hmm. think that it is linked back to that serious injury back in 2013, when I destroyed my knee, that it compromised my discs as well. Um, and so they say it takes a while for those nerves to kind of, um, Regenerate. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And so there is always a little, a little fear, worrisome that there is some healing to do, but I try mm-hmm. and not let that fear um, hold me back. And how are you dealing with, you said you have some, some level of chronic pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with my knees, since I've had six knee surgeries and oh, then the back surge, I've had six. Yeah. Um, not all major ones, um, but um, really the way that I deal with it is through educating myself on how our brain processes pain. And a lot of it mm-hmm. comes down to um, emotional trauma or fear catastrophizing um cycle within our brain. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I use an app called Curable that just brings us back to why are we in pain? And if it is linked to tissue damage, or if it's linked to um, our neural mapping of our nerves and um, uh, sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system that is stressing Mm -hmm. us out. And so it's sending these pain signals. So um, I feel like I'm on top of my chronic pain, but it's taken a long time to get there. Did you feel traumatized by your, your fall and your injury? Definitely. You did, Definitely. but you had no trouble oh, yeah. getting back up on, on those skis and jumping again. No, and it, I, in the, sh- in the short term, I was not traumatized. Um, and saying this out loud, is kind of interesting, but that short term, I was so focused on my goal that I pushed all that junk out. But then um, as I tore my ACL, I ended up tearing that same ACL again a couple of years later. Then that is that trauma started coming back. And that's where I started seeing this chronic pain and these um, habits forming in my head of the fear and of um, not being able to push past the quote unquote pain, even though I was technically healed. It's amazing the link between the mind and the body. We can come back to this conversation so many times and, and how we hold pain and fear in our body. Sarah, it's been yes. wonderful, wonderful talking to you. You're such an inspiration for so many people. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Love talking about it. Great questions. And um, hopefully someone can, can learn something from this. That's what I, that's what I hope. Now, do you have any uh, social media that people can connect to you with? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on um, pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram is SC Hendrickson. Uh, my middle name is Catherine. So um, that's what the C stands for. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, follow me on there. I post a lot about skiing and uh, work at, working out, stuff like that. And um, yeah, I would love to connect with anybody with questions. Um, reach out, please. Wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.